Praise the Lord. That was amazing. Thank you so much, Liz. Uh, I, I thought I saw like a little fire just come down and rest on your head while you're proclaiming. Uh, praise God. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And uh, yeah, I, I, when I saw the, she, she shared her testimony with me before this evening. And when I saw that about like a second confirmation, I was like, my theological brain was just like imploding. It was like exploding. I'm like, I, I don't know. But like, I think the way she described it is absolutely the case that it's, it's not a second confirmation, right? We know when we crack open our, our catechism that confirmation and baptism are indelible. They leave an indelible mark on our soul, right? They happen once, once in a lifetime, right? A once in a lifetime event. Uh, maybe it was when you were a baby. Maybe it was when you were an apathetic high schooler. That was kind of where I was at when I got confirmation. I was kind of open, but kind of not. And wherever you were at, it doesn't matter. That is where God left that indelible mark on your soul. He encountered you in that sacrament. It happened. But sometimes we need that, that kind of renewal, right? That renewal of that baptismal and confirmation grace. And so it does kind of feel like like a second confirmation. It's like, it's like the graces that were always there, embedded in your heart, in your soul, in your body, they become unleashed. They get released. That's what uh, Father Raniero Cantalamesa says, that sometimes baptism and confirmation are what's called bound or unreleased sacraments. And so what did he mean by that? Well, he means that sometimes we just need that, that event that God comes upon us and encounters us in a new way, maybe an unexpected way. You know, he always knows exactly where we need to be. Like, maybe it's in a place of anger. Maybe it's in its place of frustration. That's certainly the experience that I had when, when I experienced whatever happened uh, at that conference where just I got zapped by the Holy Spirit and I encountered him in a new way, and all of the, the graces and of my baptism and confirmation got unleashed through, like, laughter that, like you said about your tears, Liz, that it almost felt like they just needed to get out. They just needed to get out, and that's how it felt with this laughter. It just felt like it was erupting out of my stomach, and it just had to, it had to get out. But, like, that was, that was right in the wake of, like, a really hard time. That was right after we had lost Father Joe. That was right after that. And I was really, really mad at God, too. That like, that, like, why do I have to deal with this? Why do I have to be a priest for a, the biggest parish in our diocese in the wake of a tragic death, a loss like that? And that's where God met me, right? In that, that place of frustration and anger. But he can also meet us where we're meeting new people and we're, we're growing in our faith and we're encountering people that like love God in a different way than we've ever seen before. He can encounter us where we are like maybe just everything's going amazing. God knows where you are. That's the most important thing to remember always. God knows exactly where you are right now and he's precisely there with you. And so he can, he can do something to you and help you to tap into those unreleased, perhaps bound graces of the sacrament 
of baptism and confirmation, no matter where you're at, and actually multiple times in your life. You can always call upon those graces of your baptism and confirmation. But I think what I'd like to talk about tonight is, you know, what we've come to know this kind of experience, this encounter, to be called. So a lot of people will call this the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us and, and we are encountered by him in a brand new way, but it's unlocking graces that were already there, okay? So it's not like you're getting a new sacrament or a new, a new thing that wasn't there before. It's not like an eighth sacrament, okay? No, it's, it's the Holy Spirit stirring up what's already there and catching it on fire. It's like there's like these little embers in your soul, okay? Like these embers in your soul and maybe like you're going to church, you're praying, you're showing up, you're doing all the right things. You are, you're, you're repenting of your sins. You're following the Lord. But maybe it's just, you know, there's that, that like smoldering embers for, for whatever reason and something just isn't clicking and you just know there, there's gotta be more. <laughs> there's gotta be more to this. There's got to be more to following the Lord than this. I feel so powerless. I feel so, like, like, empty at times. And what am I doing? What's going on? Where am I? The Lord knows where you're at. And sometimes it's like, I like this image, and I'll share it with you. Uh, it's like a glass of milk with a little bit of chocolate in the bottom, right? You've got the chocolate. So it's like almost chocolate milk, right? <laughs> It's all right there, right? It's all there. God has provided everything. He is, he's prepared you. But then he's like, okay, Anthony, okay, okay, insert your name. I'm going to take this spoon now. I'm going to put it in that glass. I'm just going to shake it up, okay? I'm going to stir it up. And then suddenly that glass of milk that everything was there, but now it's like really chocolatey. Okay. That is a very good image, I think, of what we mean when I share this about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is that, that stirring up of the graces that God has prepared in your heart and given you in so many ways already. We heard about this baptism with the Holy Spirit in many of the Gospels, but one of the Gospels where we hear about it most clearly is actually in the third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So it comes when St. John the Baptist is preaching, right? And he's telling everyone, I am not the Christ. I'm not him. You got the wrong guy. You got to keep looking, but he is coming, right? And he says, I am baptizing you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. With the Holy Spirit and fire. Pope Benedict XVI, he died the night right after my encounter with the Holy Spirit, actually. <laughs> he died on, our, on my way home from the encounter conference. And I remember praying for his soul uh, when we landed in Toledo on our way home. Um, but he said this, Christ's entire mission is summed up in this, to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. What does he mean by that? It means to be plunged into the life 
of the Spirit. To be so permeated and to be so, so completely enthralled with the Lord that he just, he just completely animates us. Anima, right? It's, it's the Spirit. We're animated by the Holy Spirit and filled with him. He goes on to say this. Let us recover awareness of our baptism and our confirmation, every ever-timely sources of grace. Let us ask the Virgin Mary to obtain also today a renewed Pentecost for the church that will spread in everyone the joy of living and witnessing to the gospel. I think what was was most revealing to me as I heard Liz's story is that the fruits of it were so apparent. We always judge by their fruits, right? That's what Jesus himself told us to do. You shall judge them by their fruits. And when we look at how, like, how God encountered her, how God encountered so many of us, we can look and see when that happened, when that stirring up happened. It wasn't just an empty experience. It wasn't just a spiritual high. It wasn't just something that was cool. And it's like, oh, I'm glad that happened. Now on to the next cool experience, right? Because that is not what this is about. This is not about getting like that, that transfiguration spiritual high. Oh, Lord, it is good that we are here. Let's just hang out in spiritual high land forever. No. This, this, is, this comes with tangible, real fruit. And, it, and this is what Pope Benedict said. It will spread in everyone the joy of living and witnessing to the gospel. And I can speak for myself that whatever happened, December 20-whatever, at the end of December 2021, too, whatever happened that, that night, I've been, like, just different. I'm just different. And I, a lot of people have said, have come up and said that. And I, I'm still working through a lot of stuff. And I am still far from being finished, okay? But the Lord did something, and the fruit of it, the joy and the greater peace and the greater ability to, to just, you know, move forward in witnessing to the gospel, the boldness that God has given me is, is quite beautiful. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about this other piece that Pope Benedict said, this renewed Pentecost for the church. The renewed Pentecost. So kind of like the second, the second confirmation, right? The renewed confirmation, a new confirmation, new stirring up of baptismal and, and confirmation graces. The, the popes of recent history have been calling over and over and over and over again in different ways for what they consistently call a new Pentecost. A new Pentecost. Let's look at what some of the popes have said and done in, in asking the Lord for what they call a new Pentecost. So I think one of the most uh, interesting ones came on January 1st, 1901. So this is the turn of the century. This is New Year's Eve and entering into the 20th century, one of the most bloodiest, most like tumultuous times in the earth's history like, the, the church, like, raised up a pope who said, we need the Holy Spirit, and we need a new Pentecost if we're going get, to get through all of this. And so, at the behest of, of now blessed Elena Guerra, 
the Pope Leo XIII answered her many, many letters. She was one of those, you know, church, church people who send you letters. Father, you should do this. Father, you should do that. It's beautiful. And the Pope listened to her. The Pope listened to her. How amazing. She said, Pope Leo, you have to, you have to lead the church in praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Ask the Holy Spirit to come down upon the church. Consecrate the 20th century to the Holy Spirit. And so he did. On January 1st, 1901, Pope Leo XIII prayed the Veni Creator Spiritus and so consecrated the 20th century to the workings of the Holy Spirit. And we see the fruit of that. We see, like, you see all of the amazing things that the Lord unleashed, all of the saints in the 20th century, people like St. Maximilian Kolbe, people like Pope St. John Paul II, people like St. Faustina, these unleashing of the new Pentecost. Thank God he prayed that prayer. And then, a little bit later, let's fast forward to like the late 50s, early 60s. As the Second Vatican Council started to take shape, and it began finally, Pope St. John XXIII asked the entire church to pray this prayer together. Lord, renew your wonders in this our day as though for a new Pentecost. Again, it's that asking for, Lord, do what you did in that upper room. Encounter us in that. We're waiting. We're expectant. We trust that you're going to be with us and you're going to fill us with what we need. You're going to prepare us for what we need to carry out your mission. This call for the renewed Pentecost or new Pentecost has also been taken up by a few others. So Pope St. John Paul II said that he hopes that the spirituality of Pentecost will spread in the church as a renewed incentive to prayer, holiness, communion, and proclamation. And then Pope Benedict XVI, whom we already quoted, he also said when he, sh- when he showed up to St. Patrick's Cathedral uh, in New York on April 19th, 2008, he said this, let us implore from God the grace of a new Pentecost for the church. May tongues of fire combining burning love of God and neighbor with zeal for the spread of Christ's kingdom descend on all present. Pope Benedict XVI said that. Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. What are the effects of this deepening, this unleashing of a new Pentecost? Because, yeah, we're praying for that for the whole church, but it happens to us individually, right? Happens to us one by one. It happened to me on one day. It happens to you on another. It happens to other people in different ways, in different places, okay? What are kind of the fruits? What are the, what are the tangible realities that come about after someone experiences what is sometimes called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, here are a few that that seem to be uh, tried and true. These are the things that everyone will talk about. And and it's fruit that you can judge them by, okay? These are the fruits that you will know them by. First one is a deep experience of God's deeply personal love. So whatever that encounter may be, whether it be something intense or something more simple and ordinary, It will bring about a new level of intimacy with God the Father and with God the Son. 
and with God the Holy Spirit. It brings about a new level of intimacy with the Most Holy Trinity. It also will unlock a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he has actually done for us in laying down his life on the cross and pouring out his blood and dying and being buried and being raised from the dead. We'll be able to have a greater appreciation and, and awareness of what that actually means. What are the ramifications that God became flesh and died and then rose from the dead? Along with that, there's a growth in our friendship with him. I no longer call you slaves, I call you friends. This encounter, this deepening also will fill our heart with a sense of like wildness and unpredictability of the Holy Spirit. It will embolden us. It, it opens us up to being more free from fear and from our personal sins. And so as we kind of just get to know the Holy Spirit as a person, right? We talked about that way back in night one of the upper room, right? The Holy Spirit is not the force. It's a person. It's the, a divine person. But as we get to know him and we become friends with him as well, we find out that he's, he's kind of wild, right? Sometimes he's been called the wild goose. And so we kind of come to love that about him. And maybe he asks us all of a sudden, go move to Williamsburg. And maybe he asks us all of a sudden, enter the Dominicans, right? Oh, man, we have some wonderful Dominican sisters with us tonight. It's so encouraging. He asks some wild stuff from us. Go to seminary, Anthony. I'm like, uh, that sounds a little wild. And he's like, yeah, I'm the wild goose. Get over it. Get used to wild, okay? It also brings about a brand new zeal for sharing our faith. So it, it, it inspires a hunger for scripture and all of the sacraments, for learning about the faith, for sharing it with others, to serve the poor with greater humility and charity. It fills us with a desire for holiness and, and a repulsion for sin, a greater repulsion for anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit, right? And along those lines, it begins to awaken more and more the fruits of the Holy Spirit in us. So we have those, those fruits, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, does that mean that you're going to be all of those things magically when the Holy Spirit encounters you? Sorry. Man, I wish. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> we still have to cooperate, and we're still sinners, right? But, but we start to see that the Lord is, is drawing us closer and closer to himself in the midst of that. Lastly, it also empowers us and equips us to live a more and more supernatural life for the building up of the church. So we talked about this in our last session. We talked a lot about the pneumatica, uh, the pneumatica, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts, but there are also other lists of other charisms that we find in sacred scripture. And the Lord is pouring out those gifts into his church, and they are all supernatural. They're all supernatural gifts, even the most ordinary looking ones. I mean, think about the Eucharist, how ordinary that looks, and yet how supernatural it is. So we start to live a more and more supernatural life, and the Spirit imparts new gifts and new powers that previously would have been humanly impossible for us. So all in all, what it is is an unbinding, a releasing of all of the graces 
that God gave us in our baptism. That, that putting to death of the old self, of the old man, and the raising to new life. Because what all of that that I just described is, is the life of Jesus. It's the life of the Lord. And that is the goal of our faith, to be, as Pope Benedict said, baptized in the Holy Spirit so that we may be plunged into God's life so that we might die. And then Jesus lives. Jesus, come and live in us. Jesus, live in us now. That's what the church is supposed to be. Jesus living. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this gift. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that empowers us and fills us to live out Jesus' own life. It's his life that's in us. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. We believe that because one has died, therefore all have died. And those who live now live not for themselves, but for him who laid down his life and was raised for us. This is our hope. It's the only hope. So tonight, I think, as we transition, we're just going to pray. And I think in light of that, I'd really like us to just pray a prayer of surrender. A prayer of surrender so that Jesus' life may come to life in us more and more. Because he's already living there through our baptism. We want him to be unleashed more and more. And so, let's just pray this out loud. Let's just pray this prayer of surrender and repentance, okay? So I'm just going to guide you through this prayer, and it's probably not unfamiliar to you. It's just kind of what we say to the Lord when we want to give him our heart. There's nothing all that, there's nothing new here. We're just letting God do what he always does. So if you're open to it, I, I encourage you to just pray with me these words. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And that you want to live inside of me. I give my life to you, and I choose now to be your disciple. I choose again to be your disciple. I want to belong to you from now on. Have your way with me. One of the big things that uh, prevents us from letting Jesus live in and through us is any unforgiveness that we hold on to in our hearts. So let's just ask Jesus to show us someone, if there is someone, uh, that we need to forgive. So if you would just repeat it after me, pray this prayer, this, this, this prayer to the Lord. Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive?
Lord is probably calling someone to mind. So we're just going to pray a simple prayer in the name of Jesus that that they may be that we may forgive them and release them. Okay, and this is we're not doing this on our power. Sometimes, like people just tell me, they're like, "I can't forgive that person," like I can't do it, and like that's true. You can't without Jesus, without Him helping you, and and in His name, in His power, forgiving. It's through his cross that forgiveness is even possible. So if you have that person in mind, hold them in your mind and just repeat after me. In the name of Jesus, I choose to forgive. And you can insert their name. I choose to forgive. And in the name of Jesus, I release them from all anger and all bitterness. Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing in our hearts right now. Continue to heal us and peel back those layers and just unleash our baptism and our confirmation. Help us to just know you more and more in a deeper way. And we trust you. So let us just lift up our hearts in in song and in praise because we we need you lord <laughs> we're just, we're completely dependent on you we can't even we can't do anything we certainly can't forgive people without you and so help us help us to forgive help us ourselves to really repent help us to turn away from every single thing that that keeps us from you 